Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga and the creator of the Momentum Magic Method, showing you the way to becoming a confident teacher who seamlessly shares cues and easily creates sequences, whose classes feel like events, who understands anatomy and who shares their passion in a unique and authentic way. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into the episode. Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 239. I cannot believe we are just cruising through the episodes here. Have you been listening for a while or is this maybe your first time? If it is your first time, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, welcome back. I am recording this episode on uh, Friday, May 5th, 2023, and this will go live on the 8th, uh, which is Monday. And I want to just give a special shout out to Josh Landis. He joined me on the podcast last week. And if you haven't caught last week's episode, it's so cool. He is a body worker. He's a um, strength and conditioning coach. And we went into a whole conversation about the nervous system's impact on the body. And it just was so cool to hear not only how he approaches working with people, but also some case studies. And it was through speaking with him that I sort of unintentionally landed on the topic for today's episode. And I'm going to go into that in a moment. I just wanted to start out. I'm just, I'm literally trying to sort of um, shoehorn this, the recording of this episode in because at 1130, which is in a half an hour or so, I am hopping on a call to get the details, the final details of a trip I'm going to be taking in May, which is this month in two weeks to Tuscany, Italy. And so if you're listening and you live in Tuscany, send me a DM and give me some travel tips. I I know that I have some Italian listeners because I look at my stats and I know that I have some yoga teachers who live in Italy because I get emails from them. And so if you are listening and you're in Italy, um, reach out to me and give me some travel tips. I'm super excited. If you have ever gone to Italy and you have any, any travel tips, let me know. I'm a little bit nervous. I haven't been to Europe in many, many years. There was a point in my life when I traveled a lot for work and I had the opportunity to go to London a handful of times on business as well as Paris and uh, Ireland. And I literally have not been to Europe in, oh gosh, over 10 years. So this was really a leap of faith. Um, uh, just for a number of reasons, in large part because Ben will be here home alone with our dog Coco, and I'm having dog walkers come throughout uh, the day each day that I'm gone. Uh, but it'll definitely be uh, work for him because Coco is a handful. So I just wanted to start out with that little fun tidbit. I went to the bank this morning and ordered some euros to be sent to me and they'll come next week and, and all of that. So just wanted to, uh, to start out with that little personal information. And also just to find out if you have some information for me traveling to Italy, that would be helpful. So 
as I said, um, yes, last week I did this episode with Josh Landis. And last night, I, well, during the day yesterday, I was inspired, actually the day before yesterday, I was inspired by one of my new students in my program. She enrolled this week. And when we were talking on our first call about the um, best place for us to start in our one-on-one work together, she was mentioning this restorative class that she teaches and how she was looking for better ways to share cues, um, not even so much better, just just different. You know, she was sort of feeling a little bit like things were um, kind of stale in terms of the cues that she was sharing. And after that conversation, it inspired me to do my weekly workshop focused on cues for restorative poses. So shout out to Susan because she was the inspiration for that topic. And it was just funny to me because after I was done with the workshop yesterday, which which really went so well, and I was so pumped when I was done just because of some of the follow-up emails I got about how much the teachers that were there really enjoyed it. And also because I just love teaching and I just love teaching anatomy and teaching skills. It's just exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. It so fires me up that every time I'm done with the workshop, I'm just so pumped. And I'm like, I could do these workshops every single day on a different topic. So the interesting thing though, was it partners really well with that episode from last week that I did with Josh. So that's why I want to mention it. And I'll tell you that I do have the replay of the workshop. So after you're done listening to this episode, where I'm going to talk about the highlights of what I shared last night in the workshop, if you'd like the recording of the workshop, get in touch with me, uh, send me a DM on Instagram or email me and let me know you'd like the workshop replay uh, from the workshop on restorative postures. And I'll send that to you. I'll probably keep that for a while. I don't keep them forever. So depending on when you listen to this, that workshop may be gone. Hopefully you'll catch it in time. So for today's episode, um, the idea here is to really hone in on cues for restorative poses. And I'm going to give you two different ways to approach them. The place that I want to begin though, is I want to begin with just an overview of cues in general. And this is my own system. This is the system of cueing that I teach inside my certification program. And I wanna start out with that. If you've never been to one of my workshops, you haven't heard this format. And so I wanna share it with you so that you can start this episode on a level ground. So the four types of yoga cues that we can share fall into fall fall into four different categories. And think about it like a tool belt you're wearing and you've got these different cues that you can use depending on what your students need. So the four types of cues are action, alignment, anatomy, and somatic cues. And we're going to spend most of the time today talking about somatic cues. It's helpful though to know the other types of cues because it gives you as the teacher a lot of different options. And when you think about um, when you go into a class, if you tend to refer to your notes or use the same cues all the time, or if you have a feeling of overwhelm or you get lost in the cues you're sharing, meaning you're not really sure what they mean, or you just find yourself going on and on and on, 
or you get bored hearing yourself cue because it's the same things over and over again. Understanding these four types of cues will give you a lot more um, flexibility and variety in what you're sharing. And most importantly, because it's not about being different, it's about being effective. And most importantly, when you use the right type of cue for the moment, for the class, for the students, that's what really helps next level your class in terms of their experience. And by that, I mean, it ensures they understand it. It ensures they understand what you want them to do quickly and easily and with very little interpretation. So just really quickly, the easiest cue for people to understand is the action cue. So these are cues like step your foot forward, reach your arms up, um, uh, bring your feet together, right? Just really simple, clear instruction that doesn't depend on any expertise in yoga. It's just actions we take during the day, actions we know, actions we can understand just from hearing the cue. And so think about if you were to go into your class tomorrow and decide that you're going to just teach from action, I want you to appreciate what that would do. Number one, it would ensure that your students have the best opportunity to understand your cues. Number two, it would allow you to be more organized so that when you're going in to teach that class, you have a plan for how you're going to cue. Number three, it allows you to filter the knowledge you already have through a format for how you are sharing your cues rather than just going in like you're reading from a script. So it gives you an ability to teach in a way and share cues in a way where the cues are coming from what you know and you're filtering them through this format. So I'm gonna leave that for now. There's a lot I can share on cues. And in fact, I do have a quick training video on cues. So if you'd like that, send me a DM with the word cues video and I'll send it to you. So today let's go into somatic cues. And again, this short conversation I'm going to have with you goes along really well with the workshop replay. So you can DM me for that as well. But I wanted to do a quick podcast episode on this in the event you never get to the replay of the actual workshop. So when we look at somatic cues, there are two typical approaches that I find are commonly used out there. And you may be using one of these approaches. And no, this is not to say there's a right or a wrong or a good or a bad. It's just a matter of looking at different ways that teachers share somatic-based cues. And once we understand a little bit more about the options that are out there, we can make some choices about what we want to use and what we think would be the most effective. Because again, there's no right or wrong. There are no yoga police. You can do whatever the hell you want, <laughs> but there definitely are more effective ways to do certain things and to really do all things. And more importantly, there's how do you feel when you're approach when you are approaching teaching in a particular way? The last thing I want you to do is to approach your teaching in a way where you feel anxiety or stress, or you don't feel like yourself, you don't feel authentic. I want you to feel empowered and confident and authentic. So one typical approach that teachers often take to a somatic cue is to share what's sort of like a directive cue. You should be feeling your hamstrings lengthen in this pose. You should be feeling your hips relax in this pose. You should be feeling more expansion in your chest. You should be feeling the weight of your shoulders drop. Notice 
even if I were to say that in like a softer tone, like you should be feeling the weight of your hips release, or maybe that that's not a good one. You should be feeling the, the um, you should be feeling the length in your hamstrings here. Notice how there's sort of a prescriptive tone to that. As soon as you use the word should, it immediately implies that the person should, that there is a requirement that if you are doing it right, you should be feeling X. And you know, and I know that there are no shoulds in yoga for the most part. Even if I know the anatomy, and even if I know positionally the hamstrings are lengthening in a particular posture, I have no freaking idea what that person is feeling. So the last thing, in my opinion, I want to do is say you should be feeling X. So that's number one. Another approach that teachers often take is to say, release the tension in your X, and you can fill in the body part there. And this whole concept of releasing tension is a really popular one that teachers will use when someone's in a restorative posture, because there's this connection that's made between the shape of the body, the position of the body, usually it's close to the ground, the um, energetic um, implication or the energetic vibe or the energetic quality of the posture. It's usually relaxing. And so the, the sort of, I don't want to say the assumption made, but the implication, the suggestion is made that, hey, you're in a great position to release the tension. And again, tension is sort of a funny word because is it really tension? Is it something else? And so this tends to be a little bit of a can of worms where we can sort of question, well, if I'm the student and I'm not able to release, does that mean I'm doing it wrong? Is it really tension? Is it tightness? Is it lack of range of motion? What is it? If I'm not feeling anything, does that mean I'm doing it wrong? So, you know, this whole suggestion that we can release tension, is it something we can volitionally do? Is it something we need to do something else to allow us to do? So again, nothing wrong with it. It's just interesting to really sort of break it down and take a look at if that is a very effective way to cue someone when they are in a restorative posture for the reasons I just described. So when we approach somatic cues in either of those two ways, or both, we remove agency from the student over the sensation, especially in example number one, you should be feeling X. That removes agency from the student because now we're saying to them, you don't know what you feel. You should be feeling this. And if you feel this, great. If you don't feel this, well, maybe there's something that's not set up correctly in your posture or whatever assumption the student might make. So we don't want to use, in my opinion, that type of cue because it removes agency from the student over their own experience. The second one, it puts the student in their head. What if I'm not feeling that? Am I doing it wrong? So I, I already spoke to that, but I just want to reiterate that, that it, it just now all of a sudden we take the student out of their experience by what we're saying. And then the next problem with those approaches is that it assumes the sensation feels the same from person to person. And we know that that can't possibly be this be the case. In fact, if we were to have classes where our students were talking back to us and we could 
ask people as they're in half pigeon, what do you feel? What do you feel? What do you feel? We would get a whole bunch of different responses. So those are some reasons why those approaches to cueing just really don't work. Somatic cues. So instead, my proposal to you and what I teach inside my program as a as an approach to consider uh, is to use what I call an inquiry framework, inquiring, an inquiry framework. And you've probably done some journal exercises in teacher trainings where they've asked you inquiry questions, questions where they inquire, you inquire of yourself to pull from your psyche, to pull from your memory, to pull from your mind your thoughts and feelings and beliefs about certain things. And the inquiry question will spark those thoughts to come to the surface. So it's sort of similar when we're working with people in restorative poses. And, and let me just say this too. When I say restorative poses, it could be that you're teaching a yin class. It could be that you're teaching an entire class of restorative poses. It could be that you're teaching a general class and at the end, you're doing some restorative poses. And by restorative poses, I'm talking about poses that are held longer, there's no sort of vinyasa flow movement happening at this point in the sequence. And so the student is still and they're held in the posture, taking deep breaths for about five to six breaths per side. So when your students are in these types of postures, this inquiry framework goes like this. Asking them certain questions rather than telling them what they should be feeling, like I talked about in the earlier example. So some examples of some inquiry questions you can ask are things like, what do you notice here? Where do you notice sensation? Do you notice the right side is feeling a little bit different than the left in this posture? Do you notice any traveling of sensation from maybe your right hip as you're here in this half pigeon, maybe across to your left shoulder or down the whole right side of your body or maybe down the opposite leg? So this is where you're asking them these questions to spark their own focus, attention and noticing of their own experience. And it's very different. It's a way to sort of give the student full agency over what their experience is without judging it, without prescribing what it should be. And it can be so empowering for students because now they are noticing what they are feeling. And that can be a really important step in releasing anything that they might be feeling. Whatever that means, I'm not necessarily saying it's releasing tension. It could just be the noticing of it is a release because now they are aware that it's there and maybe they adjust their posture or maybe they make a connection between that sensation and something they do during the day. Whatever it is, you're handing it back to them and acting as a guide acting as a facilitator to simply, um, not probe, but to simply gently coax them to a place of deeper presence with questions that are specifically designed to bring them into their physical experience. We're not making any suggestions about their emotional experience. So even though I didn't talk about this type of example, I know that you've been in classes where people have talked about 
emotion stored in the hips, emotion stored in the body, trauma stored in the body. I mean, I do not have a trauma certification in teaching yoga. I know that there is a yoga therapy designation out there and there are special um, approaches to working with people who are affected by trauma. That's different. I think when we're teaching general open classes, going into these suggestions around releasing feelings, releasing emotions, releasing trauma is a little bit out of our scope of practice. And we can still be uh, facilitators for our students to, to have agency over what they notice, to, ha to have their own personal sense of responsibility about what they are noticing in their body, any connections they're making to events or scenarios or relationships, or um, unpleasant thoughts or anything else, they're in control of taking it where it's going to go. We are simply sort of providing the environment to bring these things to the surface in a very safe, I don't even want to use the word safe, in a very responsible way. And that's because we're just simply asking questions. We're not suggesting all those other approaches are making big leaps, making big suggestive leaps. You should be feeling this, release the emotions. Emotions are in your hips. It's kind of like, you know, feeding people this narrative that may or may not be true. And frankly, may or may not even be applicable to all the students in the class. So that's an inquiry framework. So that right here is a way that you could turn off this episode right now and you could go into teaching your classes with a different approach to sharing somatic-based cues by using this inquiry framework and staying away or shelving for a little bit those other approaches if you're using them. I want to though go a little bit deeper because I love talking about anatomy. Training anatomy or teaching anatomy to yoga teachers is one of my special skills. It's sort of, I don't even want to say it's my superpower. It's my super passion. And it is one of my skills. I have a very, very special way that I teach anatomy in a way that makes it exciting and helps people understand it. Even people who have tried to learn anatomy in the past and haven't been able to do it. And so I, I love to go into anatomy in almost every conversation I have with you here on the podcast. And if you come to one of my workshops and certainly if you enroll in my program, but I always sort of wonder, I don't know how much anatomy, you know, so I sort of worry if I go down that rabbit hole of anatomy, even a little bit, am I going to overwhelm you? However, for this conversation, I think it's so important to discuss the anatomy and to give you some tools that you can use that are grounded in anatomy. So I'm going to go into a little five-minute sidebar about somatic cues if we were to approach them from the perspective of anatomy. Before I go down that path, I want to give you an approach that's grounded in anatomy for somatic cues that you can use even if you don't yet have a good understanding of anatomy. And that's the following. Simply look at the shape of the person in the posture, pick one person in your class, and speak to the position of the body. Speak to the different parts. So again, we want to keep the holistic in mind, and we can also at the same time focus cues on looking at the different 
positions of the body. So a good example would be if you envision somebody in half pigeon, you could focus your somatic cues on the different, I would say joint movements, but if that's too anatomical for you, just focus on what you see. So imagine one of your students in half pigeon. You could shape your cues around, notice what's going on in your right hip. As you, as you notice that right hip, the, the knee is bent, the knee is up underneath you, um, the hip is heavy on the floor. What do you notice about that? Compare that to the left side. That leg is outstretched. Any sensations coming up for you in that left leg, the upper body is relaxed. Are you able to find relaxation as the weight of your upper body comes down to the ground or is supported by a block? So here, I'm just staying high level. It's almost like I'm a drone. I'm just staying high level and I'm speaking to what I see positionally in the body. I don't need to know any anatomy for that, but it allows me to start to speak to the body, almost like a body um, meditation, almost like a yoga nidra where you're doing body release of different body parts. So that's an approach that you can also, if you stopped listening to this episode right now, you could take that as an approach into your class, pair it with the inquiry question framework I shared, and oh my God, you would be so set up for a really empowering experience for both you and your students to sharing somatic cues. I'm going to go a little bit deeper now, though, because you can use the anatomy as a framework for asking the inquiry questions. And this is how you're going to do it. The first thing to do is to, and this is, you know, kind of gentle warning here. This is only if you know the anatomy. If you don't know the anatomy, of the poses, or you don't have a good understanding of anatomy, don't do any of this stuff I'm going to tell you. I want you though to listen, and I want you to hopefully be inspired to take the steps to learn anatomy so that you can have access to all these additional ways to help your students. And of course, if you want to do that, you just, all you need to do is reach out to me and I can tell you about my program. So the first thing that you can do if you're approaching somatic cues from an anatomical perspective is to identify the joint positions because joint positions are the doorway into understanding the muscles at work and the muscles that are preventing good work to be done by the muscles at work or resisting. So if we take a posture like half pigeon, I want you to imagine somebody in half pigeon with their right knee bent and their left leg straight. So if you're looking at that person uh, as they are on their yoga mat, their right hip is in flexion, their left hip is in extension, their right hip is in external rotation, their left hip is in internal rotation, and their upper body, of course, is just on the floor prone. So let's take a look at the right hip. If the right hip is in flexion, that means the rectus femoris and the psoas are contracting passively, not actively, but passively as the person is on the ground. In order to allow the rect fem and the psoas to uh, actively contract to get that knee up towards the front of the mat, the glute max and the hamstrings need to have sufficient extensibility to allow that to happen because they are the hip extensors. On the left side, 
the leg is straight, the left hip is in extension. So that means the opposite, the rectus femoris and the psoas need to have an appropriate amount of extensibility to allow the glute max and the hamstrings to take that hip into extension. So one thing we could do is speak a little bit to the anatomy in a very non-overwhelming sort of way, or because half pigeon is a classic pose where people raise their hand and call you over and say, what should I be feeling in this posture? It gives you a basis of starting the conversation so that you can then say, and what do you notice in this posture? Now that I've shared a little bit about what's happening, what do you notice? Because again, sometimes it's helpful for people if you explain literally what's happening from an anatomical perspective, and then you open the door for them to have whatever experience they're having. Another example is reclining hand to big toe pose. So I want you to imagine someone's laying on their back, they have their right leg up in the air, and they've grabbed their right big toe with their right peace fingers, and they are holding that leg up in the air and maybe gently pulling the leg towards their nose. So the joint position of the right hip is flexion. So similar to the other uh, half pigeon we looked at, that means the um, rectus femoris and the psoas are actively contracting and a little bit more than in the pigeon scenario because they're working against gravity to lift that leg. The resistors of that movement are the extensors of the right hip. So this is again, glute max and hamstrings. And so as the hip flexors work to lift that leg, and as you're using your right hand or your student is using the right hand and peace fingers to pull that leg towards their nose, uh, hamstrings and glute max are lengthening. So this is where we might see the need to bend the knee. Um, that would be the most common variation we might see to accommodate for um, lack of range of motion as you move through, as your student moves through that range of pulling the leg closer to the upper body, um, that would probably be the most general one. So this again, gives us the lens through which we can look at the muscles doing the work and the muscles resisting the work. Now, I want to also give a special shout out, <laughs> an anatomical shout out to the impact of fascia. Because especially as we look at restorative poses, although really in all postures, in all movement, even off the yoga mat, fascia is such an important component of the body. It is the connective tissue layer that's under the skin, that's around all the muscles and organs. It provides stability, resistance, power, flexibility, elasticity. It allows for fluid and balanced movement. It allows for in healthy bodies, um, a slide and glide relationship between fascia and muscle. Because as we, if you look at your arm right now and just pinch the epidermis, you pinch the skin underneath that, you have the adipose layer, then you have superficial fascia, then you have deep fascia, then and only then do you get to the muscle. So these layers in order to have healthy movement need to have a good slide and glide relationship to them. And so there's a whole conversation and maybe I'll do my next week workshop on fascia around fascia. The reason I wanted to bring it up in this conversation though about restorative poses is because as we hold people longer in these postures, any issues with their fascia could potentially be coming up as a barrier, as a challenge for them 
to stay in the pose. So this is where you can really get creative and interesting and fun with your classes by bringing in myofascial release tools to use in these poses before you go into these poses in your sequence, things like myofascial release balls and foam rollers, certainly if you had access to a Theragun, but that would be highly odd at a yoga class. So most commonly you're going to have an MFR ball. Shout out to Jill Miller with Yoga Tune-Up. She basically invented, uh, you know, sequencing for yoga teachers and, and her own uh, patented balls uh, for myofascial release. And has a whole amazing approach to integrating them into yoga practice and life. Here, what we're talking about in uh, general open classes or even yin classes or restorative classes is a creative way to add these tools as a way to help your students um, be, I guess you could say more comfortable, but that's not even the best word. Access the benefits of these postures by allowing their use of a tool that's specifically designed to address any kinds of fascial constraints or fascial restrictions between the fascia and the muscle. So that's a little sidebar I wanted to take there. So we've taken a look here at two examples of postures. There are more, um, actually, I think I only did two because of time constraints in the workshop itself. I have other ones I can go into and maybe I'll do a part two of the workshop. I think though, even though we've only gone through two examples, the takeaway I want to leave you with is if you are ready and if you have a good understanding of anatomy and you're going to use anatomy in your restorative cues, use it less as a, hey, did you know this is happening or this should be happening or you should be feeling this and use it more as additional info to help guide the student's experience in a way that they're guiding it to where they want to take it. And they are now leaving with more information than when they came to your class. This is how you shift your classes from transactions to transformations. A transactional yoga class, which is really common, is one where students come to a class, they get their yoga, they leave, and that's it. The experience they have is really resident to when they were in the room. There's not a lot that they take away from that experience, and there's not a lot that they take away that helps them bring movement into their life. It's really just a transaction. In a transformational yoga experience, yoga class, and this could even be a half an hour class, a 60 minutes class, the teacher is skilled at sharing cues in a way that immediately help the student access the best posture for them. And the teacher is continually making references to how this benefits the student in their life, how they can use it in their life, sharing additional information like the anatomy so that the student is actually increasing their knowledge of the body as a result of being in that class. When they leave that class, they have more knowledge. When they leave that class, they have a better understanding of the benefits of yoga. When they leave that class, they have customized solutions that they can use for them before they get out of bed, when they're sitting at their desk a long time, when they're frustrated at their job, when they're finding it's difficult to breathe. There are so many opportunities that we have as teachers to make our classes transformational. And that doesn't mean they need to fly 
to a boot camp in another country to get transformed. They can do it in their community studio if the teacher is skilled at taking them there. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode. It's a short one. However, I do feel it gives you a punch of information. I don't mean a punch to your body. I mean, just a really good, you know, uh, fundamental foundation of information around approaching uh, restorative poses from a cues perspective. It gives you an approach to use if you're not familiar with anatomy. It gives you an, an approach to use if you are familiar with anatomy. And it also, in the front end of the episode, we talked about just a basic approach to your cues that you can use for all your classes. So the final thing I want to say is that I'm recording this in May. I have two spots left for a May start in my certification program. I've added a certification status to working with me and I can tell you all about it. It will expand upon your registered yoga training uh, registration you have with Yoga Alliance. When you work with me one-on-one -on -one, after you're done with my program, you will be a certified yoga teacher in anatomy and teaching skills. This is a one-on-one -on -one program. You need to apply to be accepted. You will improve your knowledge of anatomy beyond your wildest dreams. You will decrease the amount of time that you're probably currently spending building your sequences. You'll learn how to walk and talk instead of practicing with your class, if that's something you want to do. You'll learn better, effective cues for your classes. You'll definitely learn all about fascia and the tools that you can integrate into your classes to make them interesting and fun. And it all can be done in about 20 minutes a day, a few times a week when you watch the training videos that I've created for you. And then getting together with me on a Zoom call, which I call Momentum Calls, a couple times a month. Over a period of a few months, you will have all the information. You will be a certified teacher with me. And um, you will also get results within the first week. In our first call, just like I described in the beginning of this conversation, I find out what is the biggest area of challenge you're having, and that's the thing we attack first. So within the first seven days of enrolling in my program, you're going to get a result that you have defined is going to give you a big impact. So it could be, I want to get back the three hours a week I'm spending building my sequences. I want to increase my rates. I want to add more classes to my schedule. I want to learn better cues. I want to learn about MFR. This is not about taking you through a canned program. This is about working with you one-on-one -on -one and getting you where you where you want to be, your dream outcome. So I've got two spots left for May. If you're interested, I want you to send me a DM with the word certification. If you're listening to this beyond May, don't worry. If you're interested in applying to the certification program, just send me a DM on Instagram with the word certification. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I don't see you, but I see you kind of energetically. I feel your vibe. Thank you for listening. And I can't wait to share more in the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And the fact that you're still here and still listening is not lost on me. So thank you so much. Couple of things. 
If you have any questions, please contact me. Send me what your questions are directly to my Instagram DM. You can find me there at Bare Bones Yoga. The next thing I hear so much from yoga teachers that they want to be confident. They want to feel more confident. They don't want to have that nervous feeling in their stomach when they get up to teach. They don't want to stumble over their words. They want to create sequences fast and not spend so much time writing out their sequences and practicing their sequences. And they so much want to just walk around the room rather than being tied to the mat and practicing the entire sequence with their class. If any of this hits home for you and you want to develop into a more confident, authentic teacher in the next 30 days, I want you to DM me confident teacher heard it on the podcast, and I will show you exactly how you can get there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode.